The information and views you hear on this podcast should never take the place of sitting down with your doctor and establishing a treatment plan that's best for you. You know, Nick, on this podcast so far, we've had so many great guests, but really all of them have been diagnosed only in the last 10 years or so. The guest today is not one of those people. Not at all. (laughs) She's had it nearly 40 years, diagnosed way back in 1986. And since then, she's been an advocate for everyone who has MS. Kathy Chester joins us on today's podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Mastering MS Podcast. I'm Mike Marillo. I'm a reporter and news anchor in the Washington, D.C. area for WTOP, and I have MS. And I'm Nick Irons. I'm a fitness professional, and my dad has MS. We're glad you're here again joining us on the podcast, and today we have an exciting interview with someone who's been a longtime advocate for people with MS and also has had it for a long time. Diagnosed in 1986, she's been advocating and helping the MS cause ever since. Doing this through letters to the editor and contributing to various news outlets to raise awareness about MS, all this in the days before websites and before social media was a thing. When she got started, she was sharing her story at a time when fewer people out there were comfortable doing the same. And we're so excited to have her join us on the podcast. It's Kathy Chester. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks. I guess I'll start at the beginning. Uh, You were diagnosed way back in 1986. Tell me about a little bit about your diagnosis. Was that pre-MRI or tell me about how they diagnosed you back then. I don't want to make it sound like it was a million years ago, but you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) To a lot of the people online, it was a million years ago. So yeah. So my diagnosis went rather smoothly, which is not always the case with MS, is is more times than not the case with MS. Um, Back then I had numb feet, numb legs. My fatigue was about a million times worse than any flu. And I was having trouble with my hands as well. So I went to a family doctor at first who told me that my shoes were too tight and to to go out and get bigger shoes. And I thought, hey, that's great. I'm working in Manhattan. I need to do that. (laughs) Great. You know, I get a strip for that. But no, no, no. So the next person I went to was a general neurologist. And he quickly diagnosed me. They used a spinal tap and a CAT scan. MRIs were just coming about and not as popular, of course, as we know that they are today. And so my diagnosis was very swift and he knew right away that I had MS. But my parents really wanted me to go to Manhattan and get a second opinion. And the other neurologist said, yeah, I have MS. But he said, but we'll have a cure in five years. Okay. So fast forward to 2023. The first neurologist I had said, you should really go to an MS center, which were just starting to sprout up around the country where you have the wide array of people in one place that can work with the patient and the family. And when I went to this MS center, the nurse practitioner told me right away, never let MS be the sum total of who you are. And so I started right out of the gate told me to quit my job, give up my apartment, and move home with my parents. And if you need us, give me a call, and we'll give you steroids, which is the only thing they could do for you back then. So I gave up my apartment. I quit my job. I moved in with my parents. But I was damned if I was going to allow it to be the sum total who I was. So I started advocating way back then. At the time, there was relapsing remitting, but I'm not sure if they were calling it that. Did they tell you at the beginning what you could expect for the course of your disease or it was just like 
good luck. We'll see you if anything bad happens. Well, the latter they did anyway, but the former, what you said about relapsing, remitting, and yeah, they did have those those categories or labels. Um, and so they told me I was relapsing, remitting, but that the first two years of living with MS would tell me what the rest of my life is going to be like. And in other words, the first two years would, if you had ups and downs, then you would know how the rest of your life with MS would be, which, you know, is not true as we, you know, as more research has come out, we know that is not the truth, but that was what we had back then. So you went with that. I'm sure anything happened that first couple of years, it just scared you to death thinking, great. If this is a sign of what's to come. Yeah, it was very scary. Number one, there were no MS medications back then. Number two, there was really no internet. So I'd had no one really to talk to. And so those two things combined was very overwhelming. But I had my parents there and I wanted to stay strong for them because now as a mother myself, I know how much a diagnosis really affects the the parents in a huge way. And so I, I tried to stay as strong as I could for their sake. Yeah, it was a different landscape back then. And you were dying for information and just craving some peers to talk to. And so it was very dark and lonely and overwhelming, as you can imagine. A lot of people, when they were diagnosed pre-medications, kept MS to themselves and didn't let people know or sort of stayed in the closet, however you want to put it. Were you out there at the very beginning? Did your advocacy start right away or did you sort of like ease into it? Well, I never felt in general that it would serve any purpose to keep it to myself. Good. First of all, I left my job so and I told them why. So there was that. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, about revealing it to anybody, which is so common today and understandably so. But I felt that I wanted to start advocating right out of the gate because I didn't want anybody else to have to go through what I did, not knowing what the future would hold, not knowing that there would be social media, not knowing that there would be so many medications for people have choices. I wanted to do what I could do. So I'd write letters to the editor and I, I talked to some authors who were interviewing me about, you know, they would write about MS because there really was nothing at the library or in the bookstores. And I also started leading a support group, which I really shouldn't have right out of the <laughs> gate. I led a support group for National MS Society. And so I really felt that keeping it to yourself for me, for me, was not something that I wanted to do. When you got it, you told the world that you had it. I literally did. (laughs) You know, the world that probably consisted of when I was living in northern New Jersey because you weren't reaching people worldwide back then. And that's the beauty of all, all the platforms that we can speak to people worldwide. It's a smaller world in a way now. But back then, yeah, I had no problem with that. My dad told everybody on Good Morning America... When I was on Good Good Morning America before they started my swim down the Mississippi, that was the first time he told the world that he had MS. So he jokes that when he told the world, he told the world that he had. (laughs) sure did. (laughs) And did he get a lot of feedback about that? He did. He was actually disappointed in that he didn't get more feedback. He's a doctor, (laughs) and he told all his patients, and they're like, thanks for telling me, but what about my 
itchy nose. Yeah, right. <laughs> so he was like, what? I just told you this major life event. And yeah. So yeah, you want yeah. more reaction. Um, yeah, I want to ask you too, yeah, you know, right. as you opened up about this and opened up to the world, as you said, you know, about your diagnosis, did you get that feedback from people? I know when I opened up about it, I, I people reached out to me to say, you know, I've been dealing with that sort of thing, de- dealing with it and been diagnosed with similar things. Did you get that same thing of people reaching out to you and saying, you know, thank you for opening up? It, it can't explain how different a world it was then. You know, when you wrote a letter to the editor and they put it in a paper, it's not like you get a huge amount of feedback or you, you lead a, a, an MS group. You're going to get those people that are in the group and that's about it. The people that I wanted to know were, were my friends and my family, and I was dating someone at that time as well. So those were the people that got to know what this was and what it was about. It was the beginning of MS awareness in a way and starting at a very small level. So I kind of wish I wrote a book back then, but... It's not too late. <laughs> <laughs> Never is. That is true, but... Yeah. As you've gone through the years, I want to ask you, because you were involved back in the 90s, 80s, you know, what are your thoughts seeing where we are with battling MS, the therapies that are out there, the just the overall awareness of the illness? I mean, what are your thoughts on how things have changed and the change you've seen you've helped spur? Well, thank you for that. It's an explosion that makes me so happy that if I could do a cartwheel, I would. Because number one, the number of medications, the research that is going on is mind boggling to me. I sit back sometimes and want to pinch myself because all these things weren't available. And it just makes me so happy to see what's going on. And the advocates, most of them that are out now are probably my son's age. He's 30. So I love seeing them and what they're doing and how they're taking social media and running with it in a way that wasn't available to me. And God bless them. They are really out there creating awareness and going to Congress and doing all kinds of things that I couldn't do back then because, like I said, there was no internet. The the number of medications are growing every day. Me personally, I don't think there'll be a cure in my lifetime. I mean, I'll be honest with you, but I am happy to think, happy to think that there's going to be one in my son's generation, because they're coming much closer around to it. And there's so much money going into it and so much research. And I actually went up to, and I hugged the, a researcher. He probably was thinking, what the heck is this girl doing? But I had tears in my eyes hearing about what they did for our community. Mm-hmm. And it was so surreal to me. So everything is just growing and growing in leaps and bounds in ways that are positive. It's an exciting time for us. I tell newly diagnosed patients, I tell them that they're ironically diagnosed at the best possible time. It's so true. Because they are. (laughs) So the reason I wanted to have you on is uh, I I found your website, absolutely great blog, and I love the mission statement of your blog, which do you have it? What? What exactly is it? To empower, inspire, and educate people to live their best life within their abilities. That's exactly what the reason why we started this podcast. That's our goal also. At least that's my goal. And I think Mike would agree that that's what we're trying to accomplish. Now that you have this great blog and you have this voice out there, explain how you're doing it today. So, you know, everything evolves, everything changes. And so for many years, I did a lot of writing. 
I wrote, I started my blog, Empowered Spirit. It was, must be 10, 11, 12 years ago, something like that. And that was my jumping off point to do the things that my mission statement entailed, inspire, empower, and educate. And I also wanted to show other people that might, might be interested in hiring me who I was, where I was going, and what I'm about. And that's exactly what happened. And so the blog was a great starting point. I started writing not just for myself, but I started writing for different publications. I used to write a lot for uh, the Huffington Post about MS because there was nobody else really writing about that. And I always want to create awareness of what MS is and isn't. That was one place. And so my role as an advocate has evolved a lot over the years of writing for different publications. Right, 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 right. But when I turned 60, I thought, okay, I want to do something different. And so now what I'm doing is like being on your podcast, which I'm so proud of you guys for starting this. It's excellent. And it's exactly like you said, we are like-minded in our missions. And I have been hired by many foreign pharmaceutical companies that have certain initiatives that they want to put forward for our community. And I make sure that it's in sync with my values and what I want to say. And more times than not, it is. And it's not just about pushing drugs because I won't do that. But it is about, like I was part of a, a, a mental health initiative, which I felt was very important about keeping your cognition in working order, like a, like a, like a Jane Fonda workout, you want to keep your brain working too. So you have to do, you know, read or learn a new language or take up an instrument, things like that. And so I'm doing that a lot. I just flew back up to New Jersey a couple of weeks ago to speak to an audience about my story and about what MS is, because a lot of the companies want people to tell their stories, want advocates to tell their stories, So the employees will know what MS is and isn't, as I said. And so it's been really interesting to me to do different things. I want to keep mixing it up a lot as much as I can. And so those are the things that I'm really working on. And then I get picked up by other people. Katie Kirk last year saw me writing about March being MS month. And then she profiled me on her platform. And so it, it keeps growing and growing and growing. So I love doing what I do. And I keep on writing as well, of course, because I think when you write, it's like journaling, you're getting everything out, you have something to say. But I also find those private messages I get from people saying, you know, you really helped me through a dark time, or you really educated me on this or that. That's the whole ballgame. Yeah. That's why I love what I do. That's the whole ballgame. It is so very right? important because, you know, I can think back to when I was diagnosed and you were there is this alone feeling at times because no one else in my family had MS. You know, none of my friends at that point had MS. So you feel alone in, in a lot of ways. You feel like in this isolated world that you have to work your, your way through, right? You know, you, have to, you still have to go to work. You still have to do everything. Yet you have, you've just been given this diagnosis that scares the heck out of you. So, you know, I, I think it's great to have people like you who go out there and, and share your story because the internet can be a, a great place and it can be a scary place too when you're trying to figure yes. out what you're dealing with. Well, that's the other part of it. It can be a scary place. And, you know, people are putting up things where they look great and they're having this exciting life. And everything is falling into place and this kind of thing. But that's not reality, as we all know. 
you know, the internet can be a great place and it can be a not so great place. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we have to look to the people that you identify with, the advocates that you identify with, the companies that you feel are in sync with you, the medical community, your doctors, your team, all of that is in sync with what you, with who you are, the whole person, not just physical, but emotionally, they have to look at the whole person. And that's with anything. So you don't want anybody to feel alone. And I think it's, I think you can find your circle or your tribe of people that are always there for you unconditionally, that will help you in the dark days and the good days too. But when I hear that somebody, like you just said, feels alone, I feel that very deep, deeply. And I wanna help that person as much as I can. And so that's when the internet can be a really a beautiful thing. Definitely. You know, nice. I will say for myself, you know, once I opened up more about it, I think that was the thing too, right? Everybody's different. And we've talked about this in other episodes is everybody's different on how you deal with news like that. For me, it was kind of, and eh, I keep it to myself for a little bit as I figure things out, which maybe looking back, I should have just, you know, been more open to more people about it. You know, my close family knew, but others didn't. So I think, you know, it, it is interesting, but, just finding those stories online and MS advocates and people who would talk to me about, it. I found a coworker who had it. I had no clue. And then now I've had another since who's a Dave Johnson, who's been on our podcast before, you know, so people are opening up about it. And I really think it's, it, that's why we, again, why we did the, do this podcast to give people, look, you're not alone out there. You may feel like it, even though you have, you know, you have this group around you, you might not know exactly with what you're dealing with. You have people ready to support you and you have a lot of people out there who know what, what you're dealing with and are willing to help you. And do you, feel the same way about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I want to go back to something that you said, that you said that you felt like you wanted to keep it to yourself at the moment. And then you sort of said, well, maybe I should have. But I think that we should never second guess our choices because we did the best that we could at the time that we did it. And so, you know, and, and so we're moving forward and look at you and you found all these other people that are there for you and they're part of your circle now. And that's how it all grows and that's how it all evolves. And sometimes you might find that people are there for a time and then it's time to part too. That happens as well. That's just human nature, Definitely. you know? So, yeah. So I, I just I wanted to bring you back to that. I guess I would like to take it sort of a different direction. So get some advice from you since you do write about living your best life with MS on I want to just throw this open, but how do you do that? Well, I think what my nurse practitioner told me, it was a great way for me to start my journey. And that's never allow MS to be the sum total of who you are. In other words, every day you don't wake up and say, oh, darn, I have MS. Nothing's going to be good. Nothing's going to fall into place. You know, I'm going to be in a wheelchair or I'm going to be whatever. And, And it's not the case. We are all unique. Every single person is unique. That's why they call it the snowflake disease, because no, no two people have it alike. I did a, a TED-like talk once for the Consortium of MS Centers, and they said, what's the one thing that you want to talk about, just like you asked me, for newly diagnosed people? And I said that just follow your intuition to be your guide. More times than not, your t- intuition will tell you if something's right for you. If you take the time to really research things, that's that's golden. You know, and if a doctor, if a therapist, if a friend 
you know, it doesn't feel right to you, that there's, you just feel a little off, you have to put yourself first and say, okay, it's time for me to change. It's time for me to step away and think about this. Because we, we need to really, you know, our intuition is kind of put to the side a lot of times. And I know that it may, might sound a little woo-woo to people, but it really, to me, I wish that I knew that back then because I did listen to all the advice I was getting because, you know, I was a good girl and always did what everybody told me to do. And that is not the best way. You have to listen to what, you, what you're telling yourself. If it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. And so I think that if you follow that, you know, there are a lot of way, different ways I could have gone with this question. But that, but that, to me, is the one piece of advice I wish somebody had told me in the beginning. And also, I want to mention that when I was diagnosed, I was dating someone and I ended up, we ended up getting married two years after um, my diagnosis. And this year will be our 35th year. Wow. And I think that it's great if you have a partner, whoever that is, to have somebody to share things with you. I don't care who it is, a friend, a colleague, a, a spouse, whoever it is, you need at least one person um, that you can lean on and that will be an advocate with you to come to your appointments, to talk for any any kind of thing. I think that's really important if you could cultivate a relationship with somebody. That's a really a big help because it's tough to go truly alone with this in this world. And many times that is the case. And, and I wish I could help every one of those people because it's much better to have somebody that really cares about your well-being no matter what. Now let's take it for people who are like you who've had it for a while. What would you say to the people with MS out there who are just over it and are annoyed with their MS on a regular basis? Or what would you say to people who have had MS for a while to live their best life? Well, Aging in MS is a subject that's been become very important to me, and I don't think it's talked about nearly enough within our community and with the medical community, but I see it's making strides, and I'm happy to see that. So for people who are my age and older who have had it for a long time and are really tired of it, I just say that I think life can still be delicious no matter what you have. You know, it's not so easy for me to say that. Because we do have dark days. We do have very deep um, wounds there of what MS has, has taken away from us. But I think that if you want to have any quality of life, and I'm hoping that everybody would, that you look at all the abilities that you still do have and the opportunities that are still there to grab onto. Because these days, a lot of the MS organizations offer wonderful programs online you know, chair, yoga, art therapy, tai chi, you know, uh, even book clubs, all, all kinds of things. And so those help make it easier for people, you know, 60 and up to participate and to get to know people in those groups as well, even if it is just online. I think that that's a great way to keep active and just, you know, take a look at the sunshiny day or the rainy day. It's still a wonderful, wonderful place. Yeah, I do want to ask you, with your MS advocacy over the years, I, I did ask you, you know, what the strides we've seen, but where are we still falling short 
as we continue to move ahead and and try to get to that word we talk about, cure, that we hope we'll see one day? Well, that's a good question and a tough question. Yeah, yeah, because I don't usually think in that in that way, but I, I would like to see more, you know, in, inclusion and more diversity, more accessibility. And so those things are very important and being talked about now and they're being dealt with, yes, but it has to keep growing. It must keep growing. This month was Black History Month and it was it's a huge, important month for the Black community. Because they have, I'm not well versed in this area, but, you know, they have their own certain issues within their community. And I'm glad that we are recognizing that and that it's being talked about. And so I wish that that could happen for all the types of communities that need to be included. And I also think it would be really wonderful. There's a guy, Jason De Silva, and he created this access map, AXS map around the country. And it's an app that you can use to see what accessible restaurants there are or all kinds of facilities. And I think that that should be on a wide scale worldwide because when people do want to go out, especially in the city when the, the, the curbs aren't cut or they're not flat or they need, or, or entrances are not accessible or the bathroom's not in a good way. They say they have accessible bathrooms and it's really not a wheelchair can't fit in there. All of that really needs to be addressed in a huge way because we need to be able to get out. And also in the rural communities too, they need to be able to have access to computers and to accessible places to go. And I know a lot of them do telehealth, but sometimes they have to go to the doctor's office. So how do they figure that out? So there are a lot of issues that creep up that are being talked about more, but it needs to be talked about even more. And, and not just talk about, but something to be done about it. The accessibility thing is quite interesting. I went with my parents and my family was in town. And in D.C., we went to a restaurant and they had four non-handicapped accessible or ADA accessible bathrooms. And they had one ADA accessible bathroom that had a six or eight inch step to get up to. It's like it's like the one one toilet in the whole place that had handrails for actually somebody who needed them needed a six or eight inch step to get up to. You you don't really realize accessibility issues until you need accessibility until it happens to you. Right, exactly. Yeah, and see something like that is so frustrating because what what do you do after that? You tell the waitress. I mean, you know, you don't. What do you do about that? And that's a situation that could easily, easy, easily be taken care of. Exactly. You know, or they don't want to put the money up, you know, to, to do it, but it needs to be addressed. And so that's where a lot of the awareness comes as well. A couple of questions we ask all guests on here. One is, is there anything about MS that you're happy about? Is there anything you're sort of grateful or are you ever happy that you were diagnosed with MS? Well, I don't think happy is the word that I would use, <laughs> but that's dead. Yeah. I know where, I know what you mean though. It's <laughs> a good question. I do think that it made me more mindful and more grateful for what I do have. And I, it tuned me into that. And I'm more mindful of each day. I'm more mindful of, you know, my, my husband and my son, my mom, you know, things like that. More grateful 
for the ability to see friends or to go travel somewhere or whatever. John Kabat-Zinn only says this moment will never come back or this one or this one. So it's being mindful is really allowing yourself to live in the moment and be grateful for what you do have. And not all, like I said, not all days are so cheery and that you want to be grateful about them, but you still have things that you can be grateful about. Nice. And then the other one we always ask people is we like to leave our listeners with a feeling of hope. What in the MS world right now would you say is the main reason for people to feel hopeful right now? Well, I think that there's some great research and and clinical trials going on right now. And I I do have great hope for a lot of that to actually be not only accessible, but affordable. And I have great, great hope that the next generation, I don't want to say the C word, but at least make life more livable for a lot of people in different ways that we don't have today. I'm very hopeful about that. I'm not just saying that because of the question. I've written about that too. I'm very hopeful about that. Kathy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and thank you for your advocacy. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Thanks for all you've done for the world of MS over the last, what, 30 some years. Thank you guys. I really appreciate being asked here and I love what you're doing. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Thanks. Well, Nick, that was a great interview. A a lot of great information from someone who's been advocating for MS and not only having it, but advocating for so many years. And it's nice to talk to somebody who's so hopeful and so upbeat and positive about the disease. That's that's the way I am. I believe that's the way you are too. Definitely. And if you want to check out Kathy's work, go to her website and empoweredspirit.com and we'll have more on our website, mastering.ms. And make sure you subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, Nick, we also want to hear from you. Yeah, let us know what topics you would like us to cover because this is your show as much as it is ours. So let us know what you want to hear about. And we hope you join us next time. I'm Mike Marillo. And I'm Nick Irons. And this has been the Mastering MS Podcast. <laughs>